Hello, all. Uh, my name is Josh Daramola, and I am an elder in training here at Hope Community Church Lower Town. Um, as you can see, I am once again preaching from the Silver Home, and hopefully this time I'm sitting close enough to the microphone so everyone can hear me. We don't have any repeats of last time where I was a little bit too far from the mic. Uh, so a little bit about me. Some of you may know me, some of you do not know me. Uh, like I said, I'm an elder in training here at Hope Community Church Lower Town, and I'm married to Katie, and we have two toddlers. Uh, Hadassah is three, and Kezi is one. Uh, so we have the two toddler life, and that's very interesting. Uh, it also feels like yesterday that I was preaching. I know that it was last month, but I feel like our current reality with COVID-19 and some other things has really just warped our sense of time. So on the one hand, it feels like it was just yesterday that I was here. And on the other hand, it feels like it was almost like 10 years ago that I was here. Uh, so I feel like time is a little bit distorted. And I know that we're getting a little bit restless and that we, we yearn for the day when we can meet uh, together um, in person and we can worship together. Um, and I know that that day is coming and it's not easy to continue to worship virtually, but I just thank you for joining us. And I thank you that uh, you're still making the effort um, to be in community, even as it looks different than what we would um, rather do. Um, so today I'll be in Psalm 24. Uh, so I'm going to open us up with some prayer and then we're going to dive into the sermon for today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. And God, I thank you for this Sunday. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet. Lord, and even though we meet virtually and we can't be together in person, God, I thank you that we can still have community. And I thank you for the access to technology, Lord, and just the privilege that we have to see each other's faces, Lord, um, via screens. Uh, so, Lord, I, I pray for today. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to speak. And, Lord, I pray that the truth of your word in Psalm 24, Lord, would penetrate our hearts. And, God, I pray that we would take that truth and apply it to our lives so that we can, Lord, grow more in our Christ-like character, Lord, and also so that we can uh, grow in our walk with you. And I ask all of these things in your son's name. Amen. So I gave a little bit about me, um, talked about how I'm an elder in training and I'm married to Katie. Uh, and before I dive into Psalm 24, I'm just going to share a little bit more about my background. Um, I share about my background because one, it's important and it's shaped me in ways that I'm still beginning to understand even as I'm 30, um, but also because it's actually really relevant uh, to Psalm 24 today. So I grew up in a Nigerian American household and I also attended a Nigerian American church. Uh, so for those of you who heard me preach last month, you heard me talk a little bit about that. Uh, so I'm going to go back to the childhood and, and kick it back to my younger days. Uh, so I spent a lot of time um, in church when I was a kid. Uh, church was long. So church sometimes was like three hours long. And we had really, really long sermons as well. Uh, so sermons were easily an hour. And because we were a Nigerian-American church and we were a multilingual church in a lot of senses, uh, sometimes we had sermons that were in a different language besides English. So if you add in translation time, then, then the sermons got really long. So we have really long sermons, and we also had really long worship. Uh, worship easily could go for an hour and a half, um, if not more. So that was a really long time uh, for us to spend in church. And as a kid, worship was broken down into two distinct categories. So we had praise songs. So those were songs that were more upbeat. Uh, those were songs that we used at the opening of sets. Um, there were more of the popular songs you might hear on KTIS or something like that. And then we also had worship songs. So the worship songs were a bit, excuse me, they were a bit slower, they were a bit more contemplative, and they weren't as, you know, involved and as upbeat. And so when I look back at my time as a kid um, growing up in the church, I struggled at times with praise and worship. And I think it was for a couple of reasons. 
Uh, for starters, uh, an hour and a half of worship is a really long time for a kid to spend uh, on their feet singing and on their feet moving. So, I mean, the attention span just isn't there. You know, I'm a little kid. Uh, I get bored easily. Like, it's just, it's just not something that I, I really felt like I could do for an hour and a half. And then there was also the other part of things. Um, so some of you know me, some of you don't. Um, for those of you who know me, you probably wouldn't describe me as the most emotionally expressive person. Um, so I do get excited for things, I promise. Like I get excited for sports. Um, I get excited for watching sports. Now that I'm in my 30s, I get excited for leisure sports, so like pickleball or golf. Uh, I get excited when I get to like read about history. I get excited when I get to read science fiction books. Like I get excited, but I'm not the most outwardly expressive person. Uh, one of my dear friends in college described me uh, using three words, which looking back on, I can chuckle now. At the time, I think I still laughed. Uh, the first word that he used to describe me was aloof, which I took as a compliment because George Washington was aloof. So I was like, hey, that's a compliment. A uh, second word he used was stoic. And the last word he used was like a rock. I guess that's more of a phrase. And so I think he just meant that I'm not like, I don't get super emotional and you know my emotions are pretty stable. Um, but as you can see, not the most emotionally expressive person and not the most outwardly expressive person. And the worship that I saw at my church growing up was very emotional and very outwardly expressive. So you had praise you had praise flags, you had people dancing, you know, people running through the sanctuary. You had a lot of these things. And I really struggled with that. I didn't really vibe with all of the emotion. Like people had like this seemingly endless reservoir of emotion that they could that they could draw upon. And I and I saw that on display as a kid and I struggled with that. And so as I was preparing this sermon and looking at Psalm 24, I reflected back on my worship experience and I reflected back on what it was like growing up in that environment for me. And I realized that I let a lot of my anxieties and worries about, you know, emotion and different things, I let that get in the way of what worship looked like. And I, and I stopped at, okay, I don't feel comfortable because I'm not, you know, emotionally expressive. And I missed, you know, the people and why they were worshiping and why they were so joyful and why they were so happy and why they just felt so much, you know, just emotion. I missed that. And as I dug into Psalm 24, I realized that I had missed, you know, what worship really looks like for us as believers, because I got tripped up on a lot of things. And so that's a little bit about me. You'll hear some more about me um, throughout this sermon, um, but we're going to dive into Psalm 24. Um, so I'll open and I'll read the passage, and then we'll, we'll walk through the passage and we'll unpack it. So Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in sin, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek Your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates; be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates; lift them up you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. So a little bit of background. Uh, this is a Psalm of King David. So I mentioned that I get excited for things. Another thing that I get excited for is history. And I also really love quotes. So I get to incorporate those things into sermons, which is great. So we have King David, and he's a central character in the Old Testament. So his descendants end up ruling over the southern kingdom. So you have the Davidic dynasty until the Davidic dynasty falls in 587 BCE. And David wrote a lot of the Psalms, and a lot of the Psalms are attributed to David. 
So Psalm 24 is noted as a Psalm of David. And this Psalm is often categorized as a praise Psalm. Uh, so last month I walked through a Psalm that was a Psalm of lament. And today we have a Psalm of praise. And this is a Psalm that was most likely sung um, and most likely um, it's a liturgy that, that happened at an annual temple festival, most likely. And so with this annual temple festival, one of the things that it might have included is a procession carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And so when I think of the Ark of the Covenant, I know Brian has referenced this before, I can't help but think of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So there's that scene in Indiana Jones when, you know, that guy looks into the Ark of the Covenant and his face literally melts off. And so this is, you know, this is what we have. We have a liturgy and we have this procession and we have the Ark of the Covenant, you know, being brought into the temple. And so as we look at Psalm 24, it has three distinct sections. So the first section in verses one and two focus on the Lord as creator. Uh, verses three through six, they follow and they talk about worship and temple liturgy. So it's like how we worship. And then the last verses, so verses seven through 10 are about the king of glory, you know, revealing the identity of who the object of our worship is. So if we look at verses one and two, when we look at Yahweh as creator, we look at the beginning and another translation says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And so this opening in this first verse is an affirmation of Yahweh as creator God. So in the ancient Near East, uh, so that's the area that's surrounding the people of Israel at this time, there are a lot of other gods and a lot of other creation myths that surrounded the people of Israel. Uh, so you have, you know, you have the Enuma Elish, um, you have, you know, Enkidu, you have all of these different characters, you have all of these different creation myths, you have all of these different people with their own stories and mythologies that explain the world. And this verse makes explicitly clear that creation and the world is solely Yahweh's domain. So all of those creation myths and all those other things that we see and that we might hear, we know that those are false. And we look at creation, we understand that creation is Yahweh's domain. And so this is also a, a very early reminder of who glory is due. So glory is due to Yahweh. So it reminds me of a song that I used to sing as a kid um, during those marathon church services when I'd be up on my feet for an hour and a half. And the lyrics go, in him we live and move and have our being. So if we look at things at the most basic level, we exist because God created us. And then we see this stated again in verse two. We see, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And again, we see that similar motif. We see creation, we see the waters, you know, we see that, that similar language that might have been used in the ancient Near East. And as we look at verse two, we understand that the world is Yahweh's because he created it. And if we look at our position as, as humans in the world, it's a continued act of mercy that we live in this world because we rebelled and we sinned against our creator. And I use the past tense, so we rebelled and we sinned, but we could even use the present tense. We continue to sin, we continue to rebel, and we continue to do things that go against God. But if we look at God's mercy, we realize that he sent his son. And because of his son, we don't pay the penalty of our sin. And we're not held responsible for the acts that we've done that go against God and God's law. See, Jesus paid the price for us. And because of that, in a continued act of mercy, we live. And it's nothing that we did or nothing that we deserve. So that's creation. You know, David sets the scene um, with this psalm. So he talks about creation. He talks about Yahweh, how the world is his and everything that is in this world is his. And he, he makes a clear divide. He says, you have these people, you have these different myths, you have these different you know, religions, these different gods, and, and they might tell you one thing, but this is the truth of who we are. We live in this world because Yahweh created it and because Yahweh loves us. And because of an act of mercy, we continue to live in this world. So then we move on. 
we move from creation and then we move to worship in the temple. So we look at verses three through six and they read, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. So after verses one and two, we see a shift in the tenor of the psalm. So verse three starts with a pair of questions. So they start and they ask, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? And if we look at those questions, we see that it's a little bit of call and response. And so when I think of call and response, I think of, you know, when we can all gather and we're all together at Hope Community Church Lower Town and we're in First Baptist Building. When I think of call, call and response, we have Brian. You know, Brian is the one posing the questions or Brian is the one who's starting the call and response. And then we as the congregation, we have those answers and we, we respond to Brian's inquiries. And so as we look at this call and response, we have people who are asking questions. They're asking, you know, who is, uh, you know, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? And so these questions, they again show the sovereignty of God. So it's God's holy mountain and it's God's holy place. Like these are his and it's his domain. And then verse four provides the answers to these questions. So you think about it, it's this procession. So you have, you know, creation and talking about God. And then you have this procession as people are asking questions and they're preparing themselves in their hearts to enter into the temple. And it's like, okay, like who may enter this holy place and who can enter this mountain? And then we have the response. And it says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. And so when I think of swearing, I have to think back to my childhood. So I grew up in a very loving, but a very, very strict at times, a Nigerian-American home. And one of the things that I remember most vividly about my upbringing and most vividly about my childhood is that we could never say I swear to God. And I never quite understood why we couldn't do this. Like I heard my friends at school or even other friends, you know, from church who would say that. And in our home, that was a no-go. If my mom heard me saying that, she would be like, absolutely not. And I think even by extension, obviously you have you know, the different swear words that as a kid, you definitely can't say. Um, but my mom took it a step further. So uh, I remember one time I was a little upset and I said like man in a certain voice and she's like, Josh, you can't swear. And then other times I would try and get cute and I would be upset and I would like say darn and things like that. And so cursing was never something that was allowed in our home and I never quite understood it. But in looking back and thinking about my mom and thinking about her faith and thinking about how seriously she took God's word, as we read passages like this, when it talks about swearing by false gods and other things, understanding that my mom really had a heart and she was like, you know what, I'm going to take these words to heart and I'm going to live it out. And so as we look at verse four, it starts with a pure heart. And so if we think about our position as believers and who we are in Christ, the gospel reminds us of why we have clean hands and why we have a pure heart. So at Hope, we sing a hymn and it talks about how we have a strong and a perfect plea. And the reason why we have a strong and a perfect plea is because of Jesus' death on the cross. Once again, it's nothing that we did on our own. And so our heart, it's not pure on its own, but it's pure because Jesus has redeemed us and he's redeemed our hearts of stone with his ultimate sacrifice. So that's why we have pure hands and that's why we have a clean heart. And then we move on and it talks about trusting in an idol. And if we look at idolatry, we can go to Romans and Paul lays out what idolatry can look like in our world. So Romans 1, 20, 21 through 25 reads, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, 
nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being in birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. So if we think about an idol, an idol is an image humans create to compete with or reflect God in his glory. And then if we look at idolatry, idolatry is the act of worshiping that image instead of or alongside one, the one and true living God. And that definition comes from Dr. Jarvis J. Williams. So if we think about idols and idolatry, we're taking something that's created. So we're taking something that's of this world and isn't God, and we're elevating it to a status that it doesn't belong. And we're worshiping it as if it's alongside God or as if it's equal with God. And we know that's not the case. And then that last part, swearing by a false God, you know, back to my story, you know, not being able to say, you know, swear to God and things like that. Our hearts and our actions matter to God. So we can't be deceitful and also worship Yahweh. So Luke 6.45 reminds us, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So our actions and our words, they're reflections of what are in our heart. And our heart drives us and our heart leads us to action and it leads us to word and it leads us to deed. And if we look at verse four, it's a progression. So we have pure hands and a clean heart because of Jesus and our position in Christ leads us to worship the one true God. And then it also leads us to live truthful lives. And if we think about worship, worship is reserved for God and God alone. So if you worship anything aside from God, we're giving divine honor that's due to God to something else. And we're giving it to a created object, quite honestly. And if we look at our hearts and thinking about being in a true state of worship, we can't rob God of the glory that's due him. And so worship means that our hearts are in a right posture. And this extends past Sunday mornings. So if I take a step back and I look at the example that I gave of my childhood and thinking about how when I was a kid, you know, I got really frustrated with worship and I didn't enjoy worship. For one thing, you know, I didn't have the emotion, but also I missed what worship was. See, for me, it was only Sunday morning, so that hour and a half. And I guess if I'm being honest, we had church more often than that. So we had church on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. But if I think about worship, worship was only something that happened when I was in church. So my praise and worship time was that hour and a half on Sunday mornings. And that's, that's, not, that's not right. Worship is more than that. So worship means that we're in a right relationship with God. And we also ought to be in a right relationship with others as well. And what I missed as a kid was that how I lived my life Monday through Saturday and what I was doing was also an act of worship. So singing and praising God is an act of worship, but how we live our lives is also a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. And so how we live Monday through Saturday is as important as how we roll up to church on a Sunday morning. And we can only live in right relationships with God and with others because of the gospel and because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So we have the progression. We have creation and we have those stories. And we have David talking about how those are false stories and how Yahweh is, is the creator and creation is his domain. And then we move on to worship and it talks about, you know, what does it look like? What does it look like to prepare our hearts for worship? And what does it look like as we attempt to enter into a time of worship? And then we have the last part, the king of glory, who is our object of worship? So if we read verses seven through 10, it reads, lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. 
Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. And so one of the things that stuck out to me as we read this passage is that the phrase king of glory is repeated four times. So in verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10, the phrase king of glory is contained. And David repeats this phrase. And we see the beginnings of the actual procession into the temple proper in verse 7. So if we look at this psalm and take a step back and look at it as, as something that's performed at a temple liturgy, you have the remembrance. So you have people remembering what creation is and who the creator is. And then you have people you know, preparing their hearts and preparing their minds to enter into a time of worship. And then we have verse 7 through 10, which is when the people are actually going to enter into the temple proper. And so we see that preparation, you know, lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors. And it talks about the king of glory coming in. And verse eight finally answers the question of who is the king of glory. So the king of glory is Yahweh. He's strong, he's powerful, he's merciful, and he's creator God. In verses nine and 10, they repeat verses seven and eight. So verse nine is, is a mirror of verse seven. Lift up your heads, we see the gates, lift them up, ancient doors. And then in verse 10, we see the attributes of Yahweh listed again. And as Brian always reminds us, repetition is used in Hebrew so that we can look at what's important. So David is repeating king of glory, and he's using that repetition to draw us towards what is important in this passage. And so the important thing is Yahweh, the king of glory. He is the object and the desire of our worship. And so verse 9 and 10, they do the same thing and they repeat it. And if we think about Yahweh, Yahweh is the Lord of hosts. So Yahweh alone can and he has delivered us from our inescapable predicament. And as the Bible tells us, um, while we were yet sinning, Christ died on the cross for us. So as we look at that, in return for Christ's death on the cross and in return for the righteousness that we get, we can approach God with clean hands and a pure heart as an act of worship, obedience, and remembrance. So it's that exchange that we see. We can enter into the temple and we can prepare our hearts and we can go in with clean hands and a pure heart because of the work on the cross and not because of anything that we've done on our own. And so as we look at the Africa Bible commentary, um, I, I read through it and it was something that helped me as I prepared this sermon. And they do a really good job of summarizing Psalm 24. So their summary of Psalm 24 reads, creation, worship, and the kingship of God are intimately related. The God who created everything must be worshiped because he is the almighty king of glory. Those who approach him with clean hands and a pure heart do not need to fear him, but can rejoice in him and put their confidence in him. And so we see that intimate relationship. We see creation, we see worship, and we see kingship, and they're, they're inextricably linked. And as we know, our position in Christ and the truth of the gospel means that we have clean hands and a pure heart. We can approach God and we can worship God without fear because of the sacrifice of Christ. So as we look at application, as we look at what Psalm 24 means for our lives on a daily basis, um, I think the application point here is clear. We must strive to worship Yahweh and Yahweh alone in our daily lives. So if we worship anything else, we're guilty of idolatry. As Dr. Williams said, says, we're guilty of taking a created thing and elevating it to a position that it doesn't belong and worshiping it as if it's something that's equal with God. And we've lost sight of who we are as believers. We've lost sight of that relationship of creation, worship, and kingship. And we worship Yahweh because he alone is worthy of our high praise. 
And lastly, if we choose to worship anything aside from Yahweh, we won't find the fulfillment and joy that we were created to have. And so, as I said, you know, I love sports, leisure sports now that I'm getting old. I love science fiction, and I also love quotes. Um, so I'm going to close with a quote from Dr. Williams. And so Dr. Jarvis J. Williams writes, God's love for himself is perhaps one reason that God begins the Ten Commandments with these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. As the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now I'll close this with a little prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you again for today. Uh, Lord, I thank you for Lord, the honor and the privilege that I had to open your word and to share it with a Hope Community Church Lower Town. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, the truth of Psalm 24 would penetrate our lives and penetrates our hearts, Lord. And I pray that it would cause us, God, to Lord, to, to draw closer to you. And Lord, I pray that we would take your word, Lord, and that we would apply it to our lives. And God, I pray that we, Lord, would, would look at worship, Lord, and that we would worship you and we would worship you alone. So God, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for the honor and the privilege that I had. And Lord, I ask all of these things in your son's name. Amen.